All right. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. And I'm going to read um, several passages in John chapter 14 through 16, which is why I'm up here to read. It'll be easier if I do it than try to explain it to somebody else. So um, you're going to have to, I'm going to tell you where to go. Just kind of stay sharp here. And we're going to hit about four or five little, just two, three verse passages through these chapters, right? So please stand for the reading of God's word. All right, this is excerpts from John chapter 14, verse 15 through chapter 16. This is verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then skipping down to verse 25 in chapter 14. All of this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then chapter 15, verse 26 When the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. And then verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. All right. So uh, we're three weeks now into this new year, three Sundays into this new year. And we're kicking off the year with this series on the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, the Ruach of God you learned last week, right? Learning who he is, what he does, what it means to be spirit-filled people in this world. And so we started the first week, I made just a very simple point that when we think about the Spirit, we just need to remember that his role is to connect us to Jesus. And you see that in this passage. He wants to help us gain this intimate relationship with Jesus. He wants to make us more like Jesus. He wants to help us make Jesus known to others. So when we think about the Spirit, we just want to remember the Spirit is all about Jesus. So if you start getting close to the Spirit, you're going to start getting close to Jesus because the Spirit just loves to shine the spotlight on Jesus, the Son of God. 
And then last week, we looked at kind of an overview of some of the Spirit's roles and work in the world by looking at some of the images of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We looked at the Spirit as wind and fire and water and tongues and just looked at, gosh, what is, who is this mysterious person of the Holy Spirit and what is he up to in the world? So what I want to do, really, those are kind of just overview, big picture ideas. What I want to do for the rest of the series, I have no idea how long this series is going to go, actually, probably a couple months, um, but I want to take each week to look at different specific roles or ministries that the Spirit has in our lives. Each week, a, a particular thing that the Spirit does, a particular ministry, the way He works in our lives or in this world. And we'll just kind of start taking them one at a time. And, and by the end, my hope is you have this really well-rounded picture of who the Holy Spirit is. Not just a picture, but an experience, right? A, 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 a life where we, we feel like, I am living in the Spirit. I actually kind of know what that means now. I've never known, but now I know. That's the goal of this series. So today... Um, I want to focus on this idea, this role of the Spirit, that um, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. That the Spirit has this role of bringing truth into our hearts and minds. And what I want to do today, I want to make a, a very intimate connection between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And bring these together. And sometimes in my experience, those felt very separated. And so I want to bring these together. The spirit of truth, his role is to bring the word of truth and to use it to penetrate our hearts and minds and move us towards God's truth. So that's what I want to do this morning, talk about the spirit of truth. So let's, I'm going to look just briefly at some of the verses I just read. I want to look at some other verses that connect the spirit so intimately with this book that I have right here. All right. So um, I don't know if you picked up on this, but as I was reading Three times in these two chapters, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. We saw it there in verse 17 of chapter 14. Um, He is the Spirit of truth. So I'm going to just put that up here. Um, The Spirit of truth. And I I looked this week and just thought of what are the different things in these three chapters that the Spirit of truth does. And what you'll see is that his role is to lead the followers of Jesus into the truth. So let me just... Just put on here some of the things he does. This is what Jesus says. He will teach you all things, Jesus says about the spirit of truth. Um, He will remind you of all I have said. He will testify. These are all truth, you know, kind of bearing things. Testify about me. He will convict the world about the truth of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will guide you into all truth. And then he says, he, he will take what is mine and he will make it known to you. So the spirit of truth has this ministry of truth to the disciples of Jesus, to take the truths associated with Jesus and to, and to bring those to the disciples, to, to move in their hearts and minds so they understand the things that Jesus taught them and, and they understand them in, in real full and deep and beautiful ways so they can live them out, right? So you think about, you know, for these these, these 12 guys, are, this is the context, the upper room discourse. For three years, they had been walking around with the man of truth. And he had been this external guide to truth. He did these things. He taught them things. He reminded them. He had to remind them things again and again and again, if you've read the story. He convicted them. He modeled for them. He was an external guide to truth. And he's saying, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another advocate, and he will be your internal guide to truth. He will do the same things I'll do. He'll teach. He'll remind. He'll testify. He'll convict. He'll guide. He'll take what I said. He'll make it known to you. 
And if you know the story, you realize these, tw- these 12, they really did need both guides to truth. They need the external, but they really needed the internal. I mean, they really didn't get it until, until Jesus was raised and the Spirit was poured out. And then these truths that Jesus had been talking about began to penetrate their hearts and minds and actually fully transform their lives. So what I want to do this morning is I just, I already mentioned this, but I, I want to just take one particular fulfillment of all of that Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying this is what he will do. And you know, the, the greatest fulfillment of these promises is this right here, this book. That what Jesus said the Spirit would do, he did that in these men. And he guided them in the truth, and he reminded them of the things he had said, and he led them then to record the things he had said accurately and to understand the things he said so that they could record them in a way that was a, a, the right way to do it so that we now have... The scriptures, because the Spirit of God moved in the disciples of Jesus to teach them and remind them and help them understand, and then to record so that we would have this. So the reason we have John 14 through 16, which we were just reading from, is because John was present there. He was in that upper room, and over the course of the following years, the the Holy Spirit had this ministry in John's mind to bring these things to mind, to remind him, to help him understand them, to interpret them properly, ultimately to record them so that we now have what we call the Bible, scriptures. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit in the disciples, and now it's a ministry through them to us today. So I just want to talk about this intimate connection between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And I know this will sound like old hat for many of you, okay? So I want you to just snap out of old hat. I want you to try to hear this. What a deep connection there is between the Holy Spirit of God and what we call the Bible, the Word of God. I want to just give you a couple passages that capture the intimate connection between these two things. Um, Here's a great one. 2 Timothy 3.16. This is Paul speaking. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay. So last week we talked about the spirit, right? As the ruach of God, the wind or the breath of God, God's presence breathed out then into his creation, the creative power of God in his creation. And that same kind of image is being used of the scriptures, that the scriptures we have are the words of God breathed out by God and given to us in book form. God Breathe. I wish every time we opened our Bibles, there was an auditory reminder. Like this happened every time you read it. You open your Bible and went, oh. <laughs> right? God breathe. The Spirit, God breathe. The Word, God breathe. Um, Let's talk about how that, how, in what sense is it God breathed? Here's, here's um, what Peter says. No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, here it is, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what we, I said, <laughs> sorry, Ronald. This is a good opportunity to remind you to silence your cell phones, if anybody has done that yet. It's a good chance. Um, men were, uh, they, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We call this the inspiration of Scripture. 
that, that there's these human beings that the, the Holy Spirit was moving in their hearts and minds as they gave prophecies, as they wrote down the words of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture. And now, um, this is not a simple process, how this actually happened. Like, I, I don't think it was as simple as, like, you know, you have, like, John, you know, sitting uh, a blank piece of paper, and the Spirit's there going, in the beginning was the Word, you know. <laughs> You know, this is not dictation. This is not that simple. It's not like the, how Muslims would be about the, the Quran, just, you know, the, the, the angel delivered it directly to Muhammad. It's not that way. The Bible, our understanding, it's, it's more uh, gritty and earthy and human than that. And the human personalities are very much there. Their, their priorities, their, their um, styles, their experiences. It is, there's a very human, earthy grittiness to these documents. But we believe that through that, in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit was moving and carrying them along so that what this is, we can say, this is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Spirit. So much so that authors will basically say, where the Bible speaks, you might as well say, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. Um, I was thinking of a passage in Hebrews 3 where um, the author of Hebrews says, so as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes from Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now you go back to Psalm 95, the Holy Spirit is not talking there. King David is talking there, okay? It's a Psalm of David. But for the, for the authors of Scripture, where the Scriptures speak, the Holy Spirit speaks because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, this book. So we call this the inspiration of Scripture. And you can even see in that word spirit. See the word spirit in there? Or what do we do? We, when we breathe, we, we inspire, right? We take in... Inspire, and that's what we believe the inspiration of scriptures is, is these authors were inspiring the spirit, taking in the spirit. The spirit was moving them, directing them in the midst of their humanness to write what we now have. Now, I prefer actually not the inspiration. I prefer to talk about the expiration of scripture because really that's the, that's the second Timothy. God breathed it out. God expired. We believe these are God expired, breathed out words. Um, that doesn't that doesn't sell quite as well because it sounds like it's you know the Bible's going to go moldy in a couple weeks or something. The expiration, but really both are right. It, these are God breathed words because the Spirit of God inspired these people to write. This is what we believe. And so we have passages like this: the Word of God is living and active, right? Well, how is this book, how is the words on a page living and active? Because the living and active spirit breathe into these words and then not only breathe into them to produce them, but breathe through them into our lives today. And that's required also to come to truth is not only to have this book, we need then the spirit to breathe through this book, right? To blow through this book into our hearts and minds so that we grasp and, and surrender and submit to it. Because the truth is, these can be God-breathed words, but the reality is I can still come to these. These can just be words on a page, right? I mean, we know a lot of people that can read this thing like whatever, right? It still requires the Spirit to breathe through it and to breathe into me so that I actually receive it and accept it for what it is. So we have passages like this where Paul will say, this is what we speak Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes discernment about all things. 
So what is required as I read this is I need the Spirit of God to move in me and move through this in my heart or I'm not going to accept these things. Now, not because I'm not intelligent enough. I don't think it's like the Spirit comes and like, you know, kickstarts my, my intelligence. It's usually there's heart issues that get in the way, right? There's things I don't want to believe. There's, things, there's ways I don't want to live or ways I do want to live that I'm confronted with this book. And so the Spirit of God is necessary to breathe through this book, move in my spirit so that I come in and understand and receive it and actually want to live by it. All right, all that to say, the Spirit and the Word are so intimately connected. The Spirit is the author of the Word, and the Spirit speaks through the Word to guide us into truth. And I would imagine, I'm going to share a couple stories of my own right now, but I imagine we could just share stories of times where The Spirit of God has used the Word of God to breathe life into your spirit and mind to bring you to a new understanding of the truth and a new understanding of what life is all about. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The Spirit-filled Word bringing truth through His Spirit into our hearts and minds today. All right, so I'm going to give you, I I thought I'd share a couple stories today, what what this has looked like in my life. Um, I'm going to share two stories in the last 10 years about how the Spirit, I think, has breathed through this Word of God to bring truth into my heart, into my life. Um, they're both um, beach stories. Uh, I'm not sure why. That's maybe I got, they happened at the beach, okay? Um, so I'm just trying to make this personal today because I think it needs to become personal. So the first one um, has happened in the last three years. Uh, I'm 43. Um, Yeah, right? Uh, And I'll just tell you, my 40s, uh, the theme of my 40s has has been coming to develop a theology of limits. Um, And it's the first time in my life where I have begun to feel the limits, the ceiling of my life. Like when you're 20, um, you still might make the NBA, you know, like you, (laughs) you still might be president, you know. You hit forward and you're like, yeah, that's, I'm probably not, it's not going to happen. Like you start to feel this, the actual ceiling of your life. And, um, and that's been really hard for me. And so um, about two years ago, I was, I was taking like a personal retreat day. And I went down to the beach. Uh, I went down to Laguna Beach just to spend time. And I was really feeling the limits and really fighting the limits. And I think what had happened is I'd seen someone else doing something awesome in the world and, and I, what I was feeling, I was feeling jealous, um, which is an ugly, I don't like that emotion, but I, that's what it was. I, was. I was jealous of their giftedness. I was jealous of their energy, of things that I don't have as much of. And I was feeling restless, and I was feeling um, jealous and anxious, and like, I've got I've to make something happen here. I've got to be great. I've got to do something, and I'm, I'm sitting with that. And so I went down to Shaw's Cove down in Laguna, if you know where that is, just north of Main Beach, beautiful um, sunny morning, walk down to the sand, and then you can go kind of north around this peak and you, uh, around this edge on the tide pools, and you can get into this very private beach. And so if you would have seen me there, you'd have been like this beautiful, just epic late morning environment, but you would have seen this skinny guy just kind of just brooding and just kind of probably mumbling things to himself, and you'd been a little bit nervous about what he's doing. And I'm just kind of wrestling and restless. And I had known I'd wanted to spend some time in um, Romans 12, because Romans 12 talks about um, being transformed by the renewing of your minds. And I knew that that was something that I was wanting to happen. So I turn to Romans 12. I'm going to turn there right now. I'll just read it to you. 
And I know everyone, everyone knows, verse 2, do not be conformed to the of this world, but be transformed by the new of your mind. I had no idea what verse 3 said. And this is what verse 3 said. I open it up, and I hear this. Uh, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And honestly, like the Spirit did just a gentle spiritual slap across the face (laughs) with the Word of God. It was like, yeah, Dave, you're kind of not a big deal. Like, get over yourself, right? Like, why would you be great at everything? Like, why, why are you just, you're just you. Yeah, don't think of yourself, you know, more than you ought. Sober judgment. And I would never have guessed that when it comes to the transforming of our minds, like, lesson number one is that. Humility. But the Spirit moved in me and just kind of caught me like, hey, just stop, stop. Sober judgment. You're not a big deal. And that was, a, that was kind of a convicting, hard-hitting message. But then I read on, and he starts talking about the image of, of the church as a body, and everyone has different gifts. He says, just as, as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he goes on, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. He even says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Whatever you do, do it cheerfully. And so it was this spiritual slap across the face, get over yourself. But then there was this very empowering message behind it, like, hey, you're not everything, but I've given you some gifts. Why are you worried about this person's gifts over here? You do what I've made you to do and do it cheerfully and and just dive headlong into the very limited set of things that I've given you to do. Be good with that, but do it. Do it with joy. Do it with passion. And it was this very, actually very freeing moment of the Spirit breathing freedom into my life and empowerment, actually, after slapping me across the face. Then he empowered me. And what's been so great is I feel like in the last two years, he continues to work that theme. And as I look at my life, there are certain projects that I see possibilities to me, whether it's to write something, whether it's to be a part of some group, whether it's to, to have some conversation. And I feel like he's guiding me in those more and going, yep, that one right there, that's a Dave-shaped project. That's the perfect one. You should go after that. Don't be afraid to do that. Go for it. Do it. Write that. Say that. Start that. These over here, yeah, that's probably not you. Be free. Don't do that. Don't do that. Breathing humility, but also empowerment all at the same time. Beautiful. The spirit of truth speaking through the word of truth. And then beyond that, in circumstances too, to guide me into I think what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. All right, let me give you another one. Um, another beachside story. Um, so this one actually doesn't start with the word. This one starts with an experience, I think, of the Spirit, and then it was confirmed in the word uh, a week later. So um, this one happens probably almost eight years ago. Uh, Carrie and I are living in a back house in CDM, and Adele, our oldest child, uh, was born, probably, she was probably 10 months old at the time. So I, at that time, uh, first three months, awesome, of a new kid. Next seven got a little harder. She stopped sleeping very well. So I'm up all the time. Turns out I can fall asleep. I don't go back to sleep well. So Adele wakes up at two. Carrie helps Adele. They go back to sleep, and I'm up for the rest of the night. That's kind of how, how it works and the way my, my rhythm goes. So I was feeling just anxious. Um, life was feeling heavy. I was trying to 
deal with this new responsibility and being a dad and, and a husband and, and a pastor and just really kind of frustrated and not sleeping well and I'm frustrated. You can understand. I mean, I'm living, you know, with a wonderful wife and a healthy child in the back house in CDM. It was a hard life. You know, I, just, I was just like <laughs> feeling the weight of that. And I actually was. I was not liking my life. And um, so one morning, one morning at uh, 3 a.m., I wake up and um, this time I'm the only one awake and uh, I run at really strange hours, in case you don't know that about me. So I'm like, I'm brooding, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm, I'm going for a run. Um, so I get up, I'm in my boxers, um, and I think I had maybe a t-shirt on. Uh, it's a two-bedroom apartment. Sorry, these details are totally unnecessary, but I'm telling them anyways. <laughs> um, Adele is in the other room asleep, and I can't go in there because I'll wake her up. But the problem is my shorts are in there. My shoes happen to be right uh, by the front door. So I, um, no socks, so I'm boxered, t-shirt, shoes, strap them on, and I'm out running the streets of CDM at 3 a.m. in the dark. And I, as I get out there, I'm like, I wonder if like a cop drives by, like what's the, like, what's the explanation there? Um, but I'm like, you know, it's a beautiful night, the moon is like almost full, and I'm, but I'm just brooding, brooding, and I, and I run down south, and I run down, down the um, down that ramp down to Little Corona. Many of you know where this is. Uh, And I run down to the water's edge. I'm looking up at this beautiful moon. It's like the moonlight on the water in in the sand. And I'm brooding and I'm having it out with God. And I'm sitting there in the silence of 3 a.m. in my boxers. Um, And I feel like the Spirit of God just impresses on my heart and mind. I did not hear an audible voice, but like a declarative statement from the sky (laughs) which was, Dave, enjoy your life right now. And it was like so, it, that is not what I would say to myself. It was like, it was, it was outside of me and it was so disarming. The word enjoy just caught me. I was not ready for it. Enjoy your life. And I just sat with like, hmm. I'm like, okay. And then I run home. I, f- I fell back to sleep, and, and then that morning, it's probably 7 a.m., I slept for probably an hour there, uh, Adele gets up, Carrie brings Adele into the, into the room, in, into our bed, and, and uh, they're kind of playing. She can see, I'm laying in bed, but she can see I'm still anxious, and I'm just kind of sitting with it. Uh, and, she, and I don't know if she remembers this. She, she looks at me, and she says, <laughs> she looks at me and says, you need to enjoy this time, Dave. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What'd you say? You need to enjoy this time. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, okay, I'm li- okay. I'm listening. <laughs> now I'm listening, and I I I went on this journey from that moment on in enjoy and what it means to enjoy. And, and that next week, I came across a, a passage of scripture that I've heard my whole life from Nehemiah of all places. Um, which is one that many of you know, and it's the joy of the Lord is your strength. I thought, I've heard that verse my whole life, but I've never thought of what that even means. And it was a time where where Israel had come back from captivity. They're trying to rebuild the city, and they're reading the law again, and they're realizing how far they've fallen from the law, and so the people are mourning and crying. And Nehemiah just discerns in the moment, no, we need a moment of joy (laughs) to stop. We're going to hold a, a we're going to hold this a celebration because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I just, when I thought of joy as a kid, joy felt like a frivolous quality. Like, I don't think of joy as being something that's strong. Like, joy is 
great if you can have it. It's icing on the cake, but it's not the meat and potatoes of the Christian life. And God was like, no, you don't understand. Joy is a strong quality. Like joyful people are stronger than anxious people. Joy can be the thing that gets you through really hard times like having to live in CDM with a wife and kid, you know. <laughs> Some of you know in reality what this means to go through, through hard things. And it was this beautiful experience of the spirit of truth speaking through, first, I think, an impression he gave me, speaking through my wife, ultimately confirming it through his word. Now, the word, I think, there is definitive, authoritative. That impression, not authoritative, not necessarily, but I'm going to test it. And I look at it all, I'm like, yeah, I think the Spirit was working on all of that stuff. The Spirit of truth connected with the word of truth, bringing truth into our hearts and minds so that we come to embrace them. And we could go around and share all sorts of stories of how, how the Spirit uses the word and probably uses circumstances and people and impressions to speak truth into your heart and mind. All right, so I want to leave us in light of that with... I know I haven't even talked too much about this, but I want to leave us with two questions. Connecting the spirit of truth with the word of truth and with all of the spirit who gives truth in all of life. So two questions I want to leave us with today. Um, The first one is to ask the question, I've been asking this a little bit, but here's the question. What does it mean to be a spirit-filled person? Like if if you and I were just at coffee this week and I just say, hey, when you think of a spirit-filled person, what, what image comes to mind? I, I wonder for you, like, what would be your gut, a spirit-filled person? What, what is that? And I'll tell you, when I was 18, and I kind of started the series that way, if you had asked me that question, well, I would have had two categories of people, two categories of Christians in my mind. I would have had people that I would have called spirit people, and I would have had people that I would call Bible people, okay? And so... Um, Spirit people or spirit-filled people, I, I didn't resonate or didn't relate to that group of people as much, but I would have had this picture of people who had this real just openness to God in daily life. Like they're going through life waiting for God to open doors and, and move them into opportunities to speak to people or to, to, to be spoken to. This is just this openness to God in daily life. I would have pictured them walking into a room like this for worship and having this really profound experience of worship. Their hands would be raised. There would be tears. There would be powerful things happening. They might be people of great, powerful prayers. I would have had that picture of them. But I also would have thought, I, I, I wonder, though, if their theology is a little wacky. Like, you know, there, there's something, there's a great adventure that they're, they're on that I, I, I like. But I, I would be suspicious, maybe, of what's their theology. I would have this, that would be my spirit people. And then I'd have people who I would have thought of as Bible people. And these would be people who are people of the book. And these are people who, who devote their lives to the attention to this book. And they're people who are in Bible studies. And they spend time on their own studying these, these passages and these chapters of Scripture. You might see them with a commentary open next to their Bible or a concordance. They're, they're thinking through it. And their theology is solid. It's clear. It's good. It's rich. Um, but the danger there would be that their worship is kind of boring, you know. Um, and th- their lives don't feel like they're quite on the same adventure, maybe. Their lives feel a little more, uh, you know, put together and just kind of careful. And, and that, though, I would have those two kinds of people. And those two kinds of people would have been very disconnected in my mind. Spirit-filled people and Bible people. And as I read about Jesus' followers in the early church, these the, the men that Jesus is talking to, the men and women in that early church community, I look at those two categories, and they actually feel very integrated in the early church. 
You have these men and women who devoted themselves to the scriptures, to understanding, in their case, the Hebrew scriptures, how it all pointed to Jesus, then ultimately then writing the New Testament. These people of the book deeply invested in the scriptures. But also I see them as this community that would go out into daily life and expect the spirit to do stuff. And that we're moved and led by the Spirit to have conversations with people or to, to confess something. And, and moved in worship to have these profound moments of encounter with God. So I don't see two categories. I just see this one category. And of course that should be it. If the Spirit of truth is the one who gives us the word of truth, these shouldn't be disconnected at all, right? And so I wanted just to say this morning that I want to be a part of a church community that has these things fully integrated. And I think that's rare in the church today. But I would love to be a part of a church like that, a, a church where, where people dive deep into the Word of God. Why? Because they're Spirit-filled people. And this is where the Spirit speaks most authoritatively. And so they, they wrestle and they think and they spend time. I want to be a, a part of a group of people that has Bible studies regularly. I want to be with people who spend time on their own, meditating, thinking, leaning back in a chair and just pondering, God, what does that mean in this verse when you say this? But I also want to be a part of a community that then goes out into the world and and thinking, gosh, Spirit, you're at work and your ruach could blow. And I want to have my eyes open to the opportunities that you're you're giving me today, to what you might want to speak to me through through an impression, through through your, your children. I want to be a part of a group of people that walks into this room on Sundays expecting to encounter God together. Doesn't come in just saying, we're here to do a Bible study. I don't want to be here to do a Bible study. I mean, that's great. I want to encounter God together. His spirit through his word and through the songs we sing and through one another as we have conversations and through praying for each other. I want to be a part of a, of a community that is, that is integrated, that breaks down those categories. Amen? Amen. Anybody else interested in that? You know, I'll just say, um, it's been fun over the years to have people in my life and experiences that are breaking down these categories. I'll mention one. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, I had a, a professor named uh, Dr. Gordon Fee. Oh, yeah. Come on, Dr. Fee. Dr. Fee was a Pentecostal scholar, Bible scholar. And at that time in my life, that felt a little, a little bit like an oxymoron, based on my understanding. Um, but he was this fiery guy who was just open to the spirit moving. This guy would, you know, speak in tongues. This guy would, he was just prayed these beautiful prayers. And yet this guy was a, literally a world-class Bible scholar. And he would say stuff that would, that would catch me off guard sometimes. He'd be like, the God of the universe doesn't need a book to speak to his children. I'd be like, mm-hmm. I don't know how I f- feel about that. The God of the universe... God, he just doesn't need a book to speak to his kids. But here's a guy who had dedicated his entire life to a study of the book. <laughs> and it was this beautiful just integration of the spirit and the word in ways. I was like, oh, man, I, I kind of long for that. So what does it mean to be a spirit-filled pe- person? Be a person of the book. And then go out and live your life with the spirit active. And then finally, I want to leave you with something a little more maybe practical and tangible. It's this. How, if, that's, if, that's, if there's a deep connection between the Spirit and the Word, then I, I want each one of us to ask ourselves, how are we coming to the Word these days as Spirit-filled people? Like, what's our posture towards the Word? What's our practice of being in the Word? And I think it's good that we're doing this in the third week of January 
Um, because we're still in New Year's resolution mode. And at three weeks, that probably means you've just stopped reading your Bible. You know, if you, if you made that new resolution. Or it's not feeling quite as fresh as it was on January 5th. And so it's a great opportunity to just take a look again. And so I, I just want to ask, how are we coming to this? And I guess the first question for us would be, are we coming to this? <laughs> Do I have a regular practice, whether in a group or on my own, whether in written form or auditory form as I listen to it, of coming to the Word of God where the Spirit of God speaks most clearly to His kids? And, I mean, that's so vital for us. This is where truth is found. And so am I coming to that in a regular way? And not just am I, but this is what I want to leave you. How am I coming to this book? What is my posture as I come to this book? Is this just like a, it's just a, it's a box I check, you know, at the end of the night. You know, I go to sleep and I read my, my um, chapter, check, done. Transaction accomplished. Or do I expect the Spirit of God to speak through this book to me in ways that actually change and affect how I think, how I feel, how I live my life? And so I want to leave you with a little um, diagram that I think is helpful. And then we'll, I just want to create a little bit of space for each of us just to, just to sit with the Lord and say, gosh, Lord, are you inviting me into something fresh with your word today? So I, I just want to c- contrast what I, I'm calling, I don't know if it's the right words, but a transactional reading of the scriptures. It's just a transaction I do every day versus a spiritual reading, capital S, the spirit moving in me as I read the word of God. And I want you just to hear these differences and ask yourself, how do I come to the word of God when I come to the word? So the first one, and I'm not saying that transactional is all bad, by the way. There's parts of this that are really important, but it needs to be rounded out with a spiritual reading. So a transactional reading is, I just read for information and application, right? I see this, and I just put my, my thinking hat on. There's, here, here's some information, and here's three principles that I can bring from this to apply to my life today. Okay, that's, that's a way to read the Bible. Or how about this? I read to encounter God. This is actually a relational experience for me. I, I experience being closer to God through reading his word because the spirit of God speaks to me through his word. Information and application, really important. <laughs> but if that's disconnected from encounter, I don't even have to know God to do that. I can, I can get information and apply it without even knowing God. So am I coming to this? This is time together with my Lord. Next one. Um, this is great. In transaction reading, the word is the object and you are the subject. So the word is on the table and you're standing above it and you're, you're asserting your will on this object. You're analyzing it. You're, you're doing what you're doing or whatever. And you're in control. And this kind of has to conform to your thinking. Okay, in a spiritual reading, the word is the subject and you are the object. Okay, the word is up here. And it is speaking into your life and confronting your life and the way you live. And so you have to come with this posture of submission and humility. Like you might act on me, not just me acting on you. Okay, see the difference there? Uh, A couple more and then I'll wrap up. Um, This is purely analytical. And again, analytical is really important. I love to be analytical. You're just thinking, you're analyzing, that's important. But this is, spiritual reading is also receptive, right? This open-hearted, open-minded posture. Um, This one is impersonal. This one is intimate. And then one more. um, This is huge. Transaction reading, the goal is to move through content. I'm moving through content, just like a novel, right? Just like a a workbook, moving through content. Um, This one is 
and this is the big one, I think, in our culture, unhurried. And by unhurried, that could be five extra minutes. It doesn't have to be another hour. But do you ever experience unhurried time in God's word? Where you can stop and just pause even for a minute. Lord, what do you, like, what do you want me to do with what I just read? Do you have that kind of unhurried? Again, 15 minutes can be an unhurried space if done well. All right, so there it is. The spirit of truth and the word of truth. And we want to be people of the truth and we want to be people of the spirit. Hungry for his word and hungry to surrender our lives to his spirit. So let's close in prayer. We're going to celebrate communion in a second. Mark's going to lead us in that. But let me just invite us into a time of, of thoughtful reflection on our lives about the word. So if you would, just bow your heads with me. And I want to just have each of us consider our current relationship with the Bible. I'll just say it that way. And here's the question I want to invite you to consider. Is where is there a fresh invitation from God's spirit in, in terms of your relationship with the Bible? Or maybe another way would be just to sit with God and ask the simple question, Lord, what would make my time in your word more meaningful? And so I want to give you just a a moment of silence to, to prayerfully with the Lord ask that question. Lord, what would make my time in your word more meaningful in this new year? And there's all, and, and, and if, if you have no hunger for the word, just speak to him about that. Just say, gosh, you know the realities? I don't, even, I don't even want to. Help me in that. So wherever you find yourself, you don't have to be in any particular place, but just take some time with that simple question of Lord, Lord, in this new year, what would make my time with you in the word more meaningful? Father, as your children, we would ask that your spirit would breathe afresh, particularly in our times in your word. Uh, And we can't make those times be powerful, and we're not supposed to. It's not our role to do that. Um, We can just make ourselves available and ask you to speak, to speak to us through your word in fresh ways in this new year. And so that's our prayer, that you would just blow again and make those just sweet times, powerful times, meaningful times in your word, Lord. Whether we're doing that alone or we're in community with others talking about your word, Lord. What a good thing that would be, spirit of truth.
bring your truth into our lives in this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.